Well, we are following Jesus on his last trip to Jerusalem, where he suffered, was killed, and rose again three days later. And this is uh, probably uh, an outline of the journey that he took on his final walk to Jerusalem. There's about one year left in the life of Jesus on earth, and there are two things that we must know as we follow this journey. He talks about being killed more than at any time in his ministry. And he teaches the disciples about the cost of following him, and as we have already been learning, the the cost of living in the shadow of the cross. Now, the interesting thing, the very first thing that comes up on this final journey is this issue of true greatness. Uh, Before the very first stop that we saw in Capernaum along the seacoast of the Sea of Galilee, the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. They had a lot to learn, didn't they? A lot to learn in this final year. And what Jesus does is he instructs them about what true greatness is in heaven's eyes. Now, remember last Sunday we saw this summary as to what Jesus began to teach them. Let's let's read it together. True greatness, according to Jesus, is a willingness to humble oneself by serving others. And as Jesus applies this principle to us, he gives to us a series of contrasts. Now, last week we saw the first two, the world's way of greatness is getting, but Jesus said his way of greatness is giving. The world's way of greatness is being first, achieving status and position and importance, but Jesus' way of greatness is being last being willing to be the servant of all. And now this morning, we come to the third application. Uh, The world's way is by rivalry. And Jesus says that his way amongst his followers is by unity. Let's open our Bible, shall we, to uh, Mark chapter 9. And I want to look with you today at verses 38 through 39. And notice... What happened as Jesus was having this conversation in the house in Capernaum? Verse 38 says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now, here was a man out doing ministry in the name of Jesus, but he clearly was not a part of the twelve. So John, Jesus' closest disciple, rebuked him and ordered him to stop what he was doing in Jesus' name. John, and apparently the others joined him in misguided zeal, was guilty of rivalry. In his own mind, he was thinking, our group is the only right group. And he had an attitude of intolerance, exclusiveness, and narrowness. 
Do you know, this continues right down to our very day. Uh, This spirit of exclusivism has created a critical, condemning, and competitive outlook amongst Christian groups. If you've been around uh, the church and around Christian ministry for as long as I have, you know this instantaneously. And you know how it grieves your heart to see this. Uh, In my seminary days, I did a pastoral internship under a seasoned pastor by the name of Pastor Bob. Uh, During that summer that we were together, he told me that he found himself at one time in our town being publicly criticized by another pastor. This other pastor was calling Pastor Bob a liberal. Now, he belonged to a stricter denomination. So you know what Pastor Bob did? As this continued to go on, he paid him a visit. Can you imagine the day in which this pastor got a knock on his door, and there was the guy standing there whom he had been calling a liberal. And this is what Pastor Bob said to him. He said, I hear you have been calling me a liberal. I believe in the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the inerrancy of the Bible, the blood atonement, the bodily resurrection of Christ, salvation by grace through faith, and the second coming. He said to the pastor, does that sound like a liberal to you? The pastor said, no. Pastor Bob said, then I would appreciate it if you would stop calling me a liberal. And that story just reveals the sad truth. That some Christians revel in name-calling, divisiveness, and intolerance of other Christians. You know what Pastor Warren Wiersbe says? He says, after meeting some believers, their first question is not, where do we agree? But where do we disagree? That's this same spirit. And therefore, rather than uh, encouraging other groups... It seems as though for many, their main occupation is attacking them. Now, do you know in the first century, Judaism could be this way? Judaism could be very, very fractious and uh, very much splintering from one another. Uh, In fact, some Jews would break away from others over the proper day of the Passover. You know what they would do? They would literally strain at a gnat and swallow the camel of rivalry and sectarianism. Now, there are times in which we have to draw a line. There are times. But here's the point. It is Jesus that must determine that, not us. And in this encounter, Jesus gives the basis for true fellowship amongst believers. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to see how he outlines three essentials that ought to draw us together rather than divide us. And then once we have looked at those, I want to make some practical applications, all right? Let's just take a moment briefly and pray. Lord, teach us today. It is so easy to be critical, critiquing, condemning, competitive, 
to have a spirit of rivalry and sectarianism that dishonors the very founder of our faith, Jesus himself. Teach us what genuine fellowship is and what it isn't so that we can achieve true greatness as we serve our Lord. In his name, amen. I want you to notice the first basis of true fellowship is this. Are they saved? Are they saved? That is, do those in another group have a saving relationship with Christ, and are they preaching the gospel? Now, it was common in the first century for exorcists to think that they could use a more powerful name to cast out demons. And so what John thinks is this man was a phony. He thinks that he was using Jesus' name sort of like a magic word to succeed in having power over demons that had possessed people. But I want you to notice something here. John says about this man in verse 38 that he was casting out demons in your name. In your name means in your authority. So this man was using the authority of, of Jesus. And I want you to notice what, hap- what was happening. The demons were obeying. They were leaving. You remember what Jesus said to the man who brought his son to him and he was demon-possessed in the previous verses? He said to that man, all things are possible for the one who believes. So what Jesus was saying is spiritual power comes to those who have saving faith in him. That's the requirement. So if this man was actually casting out demons in the name of Jesus, he was doing it by Jesus' authority. If he was doing it by Jesus' authority, it was because he had a saving relationship with Christ. You know what this means? He was a true believer. And because he was a true believer, this gives us the first essential for true fellowship. It is that others who claim the name of Jesus actually have a saving relationship with Christ. Uh, Not long ago, I got a phone call from somebody who asked if uh, we as a church would be interested in partnering with two other churches in ministry. And I just happen to know that both churches deny the gospel. One church, their very name, denies the gospel. The other church, what they teach about marriage denies the gospel because what they teach about marriage is actually encouraging sin in the lives of other people. And I knew I had to say no. Now, I didn't start an argument. I didn't even really explain the reason why. I just said the Lord is leading us as a church in a different direction. The gospel is not non-essential, is it? The gospel is essential. And therefore, all fellowship can only occur when there is a true relationship with Christ. Notice the second thing Jesus asks. 
Are they fruitful? Are they fruitful? Look at verse 39. Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. Now, did you notice what this criteria is? It is to be fruitful, not necessarily meaning successful. Hey, Jim Jones was successful, wasn't he? He had quite a crowd following him. But nobody today would say that Jim Jones was fruitful. Did you notice that this man, according to Jesus, did a mighty work in my name? He was preaching the name and authority of Jesus, and people were being delivered from Satan. He was clearly being used by the Lord. And that is the second essential for fellowship. Are people being converted? And are they being helped to grow in their walk with the Lord? Is there evidence of that kind of fruit in another ministry? You may know that there's a movement called the ecumenical movement. And the ecumenical movement says this. Let's get all denominations together, regardless of our beliefs, and let's just be unified. I remember one day uh, after a service, uh, a young couple came to me and they said to me, do you believe in ecumenism? That's the way they pronounced it. I call it ecumenism. They called it ecumenism. Do you believe in that, they said. And I said, no. I agree with J. Vernon McGee, the radio pastor of Through the Bible Radio, who's on at 10 o'clock every night here in Marquette. He said this, The label of Jesus is put on much today that is actually not in his name. And that is true. The label of Jesus is put on much today that is actually not in his name. Um, How many of you are fooled by this? You can label this a Rolls Royce all you want. It's still a plain old Chevy Impala. By the way, if you drive a Chevy Impala, please don't feel insulted here this morning. Just because it says church, Bible, or Jesus does not mean it belongs to him. But where people are being fruitful, where a ministry is converting other people to Jesus Christ and they are growing, that ministry is being blessed by Jesus. Now I mean spiritual growth in the lives of people where they are being converted and the people are growing spiritually. That ministry is being blessed by Jesus. And only Jesus can bring forth real, genuine fruit. 
In fact, I want you to look at this verse with me in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7, and let's read it together because only God can bring about real spiritual fruit. Let's read it. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Only God can bring about spiritual fruit. You know what I like uh, what Pastor Warren Wiersbe says? He says, God blesses people I disagree with. Well, that's true. There are the Christians that I disagree with some things in their ministries, but God is blessing them. And if that's the case, I better be very careful about attacking them. You see, fruit in a ministry, spiritual fruit of the kind that the Bible talks about, tells whether it's of God or not. Not success, not bigness, but fruit. Fruit. Look at the third criterion. Criterion number three. Are they glorifying Jesus? Did you notice what he says here? No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. There's a cross-reference here that is very helpful. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says this, No one speaking by the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord and really mean it, except by the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is saying, and what 1 Corinthians 12.3 is affirming, is you can't work for the Savior, glorify His name, and be against him at the same time. Did you notice how Jesus says that in verse 40? For the one who is not against us is for us. With your right hand, you can't be building up the kingdom of God. And at the very same time, with your left hand, tear that kingdom down. I've never seen anyone who could dig a hole and fill the hole at exactly the same time, right? We are either digging or we are filling the hole. Now, this does not mean that a Christian or a group can never get to the place where they're doing more harm than good. That is possible that that can happen. But if we are bringing glory to Christ, we cannot be dishonoring Him at the very same time. A number of years ago, uh, Chaplain Greg Van Hardisvelt invited me to uh, the prison for some volunteer training. And uh, after we signed in, the guy who was right behind me said to me, well, I noticed that you and I have the same birthday. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I said to him, what group are you here with? 
He said, well, I'm here with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Gulp. I wanted to say, God bless you. But I knew I couldn't. When you teach that Jesus is a created being, that is not glorifying to Christ. And because it's not glorifying to Christ, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a mission field. Not people we can have genuine fellowship with. By the way, that fella was from California. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, I was sent here by the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses to help with their work in this area. He said, this will be my first winter coming up. And I was astounded. You mean there are that many JWs here in the Marquette area that someone from California was sent to help them? How astounding that is. But you see, they are our mission field. Not people we can have genuine Christian fellowship with. Why? Because they're not glorifying Christ and what they teach about Him. Now these three then are the basis for all genuine fellowship. And as we look at that, I want to draw a few conclusions this morning that will help us so that we are not guilty of rivalry or sectarianism but that we are people that are promoting true unity amongst the people of God. That is a mark of true greatness. Here's the first one. First conclusion is cooperation. And here's what I mean. Where these three essentials exist, we should welcome others as belonging to the Lord. We may not agree with all that they believe or teach, but we must acknowledge them as true believers. And if the Lord so leads us, we may feel free to cooperate with them as the Lord leads. And so these three are the basis for cooperation. Secondly, compromise. If we honestly feel as though we are compromising the truth of God by cooperating with a group, then we can say no. And I hated to disappoint the person who called me just a couple weeks ago, but I knew that I needed to say no. And that's okay. As we think about this, good Christians can disagree. And we need to let believers follow their conscience when they say, I just don't think that group meets these criteria. Therefore, if I have fellowship with them in terms of working together, I am compromising. Did you know in his book, Kingdom of the Cults, Walter Martin did not list the Seventh-day Adventists as a cult? Did you know that? 
And the reason he did not is because he said they believe in salvation by grace through faith in the sufficient work of Christ on the cross. So therefore, they are not a cult like many others are. However, insisting on Sabbath worship is legalism that contradicts the New Testament. As I've related over the years to Seventh-day Adventists, what I've discovered is it creates a huge false guilt that becomes a burden. And they feel, if I don't worship on Saturday and honor the Sabbath, I am sinning against God. And that whole thing is so pounded into them that it becomes a distraction from true spiritual spiritual living and spirituality. And so what I would say this morning is this. I could not work with the Seventh-day Adventists in a cooperative effort because I believe their legalism undermines the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what? I do have friends in their church. And when I see them out and about as I do, I'm on very, very good terms with them. I may decide this issue of legalism is so important that I could not be in a cooperative effort with them. But I can have fellowship with them. Because many in their churches are truly saved. Third, crusading. It is wrong to go on a crusade against Christians that we may disagree with. If we feel we cannot support them, that's fine. But should we try to wreck them? I I don't think we really should. I don't think we should put CDs on every car in their parking lot saying that the King James Bible is the only Bible that we ought to use. You remember when that happened at our church a few years ago? You remember that? We went outside of our church while we were worshiping God, and here were all these CDs telling us that the King James Bible is the only Bible, and that we were wrong, and did you know that was done by friends of ours? That intolerant attempt to shut down others over minor disagreements is what Jesus is warning about. And so we shouldn't be crusading like that. By the way, I haven't seen them since that day. I didn't even see them that day. It's probably a good thing. It's given me a long time to calm down. And to pray for them. May we never become like that. Finally, the last word is competition. We are not in competition with other churches or ministries. You know why John was so upset here? He was jealous. 
this man was successful, but he wasn't part of their group. And the attitude that we ought to take is this. If some church is doing better than us, and maybe they're different than us, we shouldn't condemn them. We should rejoice in how God is using them. Would you look at the very last verse and notice what Jesus said? Verse 41. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, there's the key, will by no means lose his reward. What does Jesus mean by this? God is going to reward the true servants of Christ. And if they are true servants of Christ, they are going to be in the kingdom of Christ. And therefore, we can let God take care of the rewarding. And we can focus on the job that he's given us to do. That's what Jesus is telling us. This man's a true servant of Christ. He's in a saving relationship with me. He is bearing fruit and he's bringing glory to my name. John, just because he doesn't belong to the twelve and is operating outside of that, he is still ministering in the way that God has called him. And God's going to reward him. Don't worry about trying to stop him. You do what God has called you to do. What a great lesson for us today. What is true greatness? It's not getting, it's giving. It's not being first, it's being last. And it's not the rivalry of promoting our own group. It's promoting unity amongst all the true children of God. And if we can achieve that, heaven is pleased. Heaven is pleased. Bow with me in prayer. Father, forgive us for being small, for being envious and jealous, for tooting our own horns and minimizing the work of others. Forgive us for our competitive spirit with one another, our criticism, our condemning. All of these things that we do to make ourselves look good, 
in your eyes only make us look bad. And true greatness is to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we just pray today that you will rid our hearts of this kind of self-centeredness and this kind of divisiveness that has wounded so many. And we ask that we will be a church that is in cooperation and encouragement with all the true children of God that are all around us. So we love you today. Thank you for the things that you have done, even in our midst this very morning. For Jesus' sake.